pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. From New York, it's Take Us to the Pilots, featuring <laughs> JJ and Keith, and your musical guest, Aerosmith. <laughs> Boo! No, no, Aerosmith is fine. How's it going, man? Uh, we're tr- it's going great. We're trudging along here with the uh, 2000s sitcom genre, and you know, uh. One of the things that is inevitable is for us to come to the show that we're talking about today, 30 Rock. It has me thinking of this era as well of Saturday Night Live. And yeah, I think this was very uh, a solid cast, one of the most memorable times of this show in terms of the era. And of course, Tina Fey was a driving factor for a lot of that. But uh, think about all the other cast members you had at the time. I mean, like Amy Poehler, Fred Armisen. I think this is when uh, Keenan Thompson joined. And I think they were really on top of their game just as this, uh, you know, in terms of 2000s comedies were hitting their stride in new formats. SNL was hitting new peaks as well. Yeah, no, it's kind of like this is definitely our era of SNL. Like, uh I would say maybe that generation above, like, okay, I say I love Will Ferrell, but like Will Ferrell was maybe a little bit for the Gen Xers, but our yeah. era of SNL, it's like, it's hard to, funny to imagine like Will Forte and Fred Armisen as featured players at first. Like that's, that's uh, like the introduction of Bill Hader, which is I yeah. think maybe even uh, like the late 2000s. But Kristen yeah, Wiig. Yeah. Uh, Seth Myers was a, an actor, and then he did Weekend Up. I mean, it's amazing to see where all these people have got. Maya Rudolph. Yeah, yeah, you know, and what I found so interesting as well, I think uh, prior to Tina Fey and her success with Thirty Rock, I think a lot of times SNL alumni from previous generations uh, would find success, if at all, in film. I think that was usually the route they would take. I mean. Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, Mike Myers, and so forth. You can go on and on. And it always seemed like the route for all of those previous alum was film. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Tina Fey might have been the first really like successful SNL alum to break out into another television program. I could be wrong about that, but if she's not the first, then she's just one of the most success- successful to do so. She's the first lead. Okay, that I'm would, that I'm makes more sense. I'm gonna say that because you've had Phil Hartman on, oh, right, right. on news radio, David Spade on Just Shoot Me, but I as a, as far as I know, she's like the first lead uh, actress, or actress. right, and it's her show basically, right? Like she also she writes it and she created it. It's really revolving around her brand of humor, as opposed to say, like the other actors you mentioned that are on a show that, you know, they're uh, kind of uh, acting in someone else's brand of comedy, where this is again Tina Fey. It's it's this is her brand, and I think that's great. I mean, she had proven 
track record with also Mean Girls. She's coming off of that. And she was the head writer at SNL for quite some time. And I feel like the you know, when, she, when 30 Rock is getting developed and produced, it, it was like a show that couldn't fail. I think she was kind of shocked that she ended up playing the lead because at this point she's like she wrote Mean Girls and she was doing supporting stuff. She was only like the teacher in Mean Girls. And the, really the only times we'd ever see her on SNL were Weekend Update. Yeah, she was uh, the anchor there for a good part of her tenure. But she definitely has like a – like Tina Fey now has like get me a Fina, Tina Fey type. She has a style of acting. And she's challenged herself, of course, over the years. But she definitely in her comedies has that sarcastic wah-wah. Like she – you know, that cool, yeah. funny, I've done improv kind of uh, – character well i think a lot of her humor derives from self-deprecation yeah right because the liz lemon character quite often is getting roasted on the show and it's so funny that that happens because she is a version of tina fey yeah and even when tina fey is in being girls she's often you know kind of the butt of the joke or even the character in that movie is kind of bragging on herself a bit so that's that's kind of on brand and you know, it's she. It's not like you want to pick on her characters, but the fact that they are just so like, oh, you know, look at me, or, things aren't working out, or look at the mess I'm in. It just kind of like she invites you to poke fun at her, yeah. which I think is the yeah you know, the secret to her humor. She'll go along with it. She'll do the Muppet walk. She'll like she kind of Liz Levin, and we'll talk about it more is like a fuddy duddy <laughs> like she will like oh yeah. guys i have like i this is my way uh type uh kind of character but yeah no it like i think just from years of doing improv comedy she knows she's found her way to get laughs yeah yeah exactly and yeah it's it's something that there's uh, with her type of writing and her type of humor there's so many unexpected moments and so many memorable moments so i like yeah, with the show like this it was like they, they just knew from the start i think the network the production team that this was going to be a hit it was going to be funny and i think you can kind of tell that as well in the fact that the show you know the first episode looks just as much um like just as well produced as subsequent episodes it's not like okay, we're going to test this episode out and you have a smaller budget than you normally would. I, I feel like this was from the get-go uh, something that, okay, yep, here it is. We, we, we have confidence that this will work. It's funny that you say that because in her autobiography, Bossy Pants, Tina Fey felt, did not like the pilot. She's like, I can't even watch that mess again, end quote. Like, she, like, and I'm not saying I agree with, I actually really enjoyed the pilot but I think what the show was in its first episode to what it became and what it could be. And also, like, she's really – this is, like, Tina Fey really starting to get her – I think Tina Fey is basically saying I would not have nominated myself for anything. Like, you know, the actress that I became to who I was, it's kind of like looking at, you know, baby pictures of yourself and, like, like – on stage in like eighth grade or something like that. I, I I can get it on some aspect, but this is a pretty solid pilot. I I think so. I, I think you immediately get 
the the pace of it the the kind of humor you're gonna get the characters are very well fleshed out right away so yeah we'll we'll explore all that uh but quick little history here on the 30 rock pilot if you want to take us through keith so it aired on october 11th 2006 which is funny enough a wednesday I've always known 30 Rock to be on Thursdays and what Thursday nights right. NBC meant for me for a time. I don't know if kids have that kind of night anymore, but it was Community, Parks and Rec, The Office, and 30 Rock. Like that was just – What a time. What a time. But it uh, premiered to 8.13 million viewers, which is a solid. Yeah, I would say that's solid. I think for the time, 2006, you know, we're starting to see as time goes on – Less and less viewerships, but that doesn't take uh, from the away from the success of the show. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's also a show that's endured through streaming. Uh, I don't know about reruns on television per se, but you know, I, I I discovered this later on on streaming, and it's still a very accessible show. So Tina Fey definitely had aspirations outside of SNL, and and she was also the head writer at the time. So I think when she made that NBC deal pitch uh she had this idea of doing a sitcom at a cable news network and the nbc entertainment president kevin riley at the time uh basically said hey write what you know like why don't we retool this into a sketch or just a comedy but about behind the scenes of an snl type show yeah which is so smart right because this is really taking from her own personal experiences it just works much better that way because I, I I can't think of another show that's about the production, the crew, the the cast, every the chaos of doing a show like this. I don't know if you remember at the time, but the big deal with the premiere of Thirty Rock was also at the same time, I believe, Aaron Sorkin's behind the scenes of SNL type show, Studio Sunset on the Studio Strip. Uh, oh, but that I was did, more drama esque. But they kind of oh, okay. came out at the same time. And, I, and 30 Rock, they make fun of it. They even had Aaron Sorkin on in a later season. But they, it's, I think people preferred a comedy version of the show rather than a drama. But, but we'll explore that when we talk about that show. But it's very interesting. But yeah, no, so while uh, Tina Fey was still the head writer of SNL during like that 2004-2005, she basically helped develop what is 30 Rock? And she gathered her cast. She wrote uh, Jack Donaghy with Alec Baldwin in mind. And surprise, surprise, he said yes. And he is perfect. <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, he's an A-list star at the time. He had been for a while. And I think that was at the time maybe a little unexpected for an A-list movie star to accept a regular role on a television comedy series. I mean, I, I mentioned this before. You know, I, I don't think that sort of uh, hierarchy of film being considered more prestigious than television, that doesn't exist anymore. But I think that's still, there was still something uh, to that effect at the time. It's so perfect for him. He's so great in that, in that part. Like, I don't want to talk about it, but about who, what all that stuff now, but at one point, uh, Alec Baldwin was like a list. He was Jack Ryan he was like the, the lead in Beetlejuice. He was nominated for an Oscar. I mean, uh, he's been in tons of movies. Tons and of movies. Around this time, though, like, you know, 
at one point you're playing the son, then you're playing the father. At one point though, he's like the more he became a dad, he started to look like a dad, and he wasn't the aviator per se. He was friend of aviator. He was the police chief in The Departed, or he was like part. Yeah. Of, he wasn't. His roles began to change. But the one thing that remained consistent is he was always, and I think still is, but he doesn't do it that much. He was always a good SNL host. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had hosted a bunch of times. Like, it was always well-known. He got his, I think, best of uh, – uh, he got yes. me- memorable sketches, like sweaty balls. Like, he was just always – like, he – and, of course, he played Trump, and, like, he kind of killed it in the beginning, and then people are like, you're doing it too much. But it's – Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about all that. But, you know, I think at this time, too, like you said, in The Departed and some of these other films, it's like he got the status of – with Alec Baldwin in the credits, that sort of thing, you know, like the actor that's not the lead, but we're just very honored to have him in this supporting role. Even though I'm, I bet he read in that and said, this is me, or like, I can own this. And this is a role, like Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, these, uh, Jack Donaghy and Alec Baldwin are perfect. Like, I think even uh, conservatives, will say, like, because I think he says a lot of stuff against them, but I think even conservatives will say he's perfect for this. Like, he, know, he knows how to unite. <laughs> right, because the character is a conservative, or at least, you know, at the time of the, sh- of the story he is, right? And yeah, he's a, joke he's a later full-on on that capitalist, like... He, he had used to be a Democrat, and then at this point in the series, or at this point in his life, when the show starts, the character has been a long full-fledged republican that sort of thing yeah that's a big part of the character but of course tracy morgan came from snl and of course right. he's playing a tracy jordan tracy jordan tracy morgan right it's like okay we get it but uh she knew jack mcbrayer and scott adds it from improv like these people she wrote these roles that kind of fit who these people are and i still kind of like scott adds it you know, he'll pop up here and there, like uh, like in an episode of The Office or something. But I remember him in Curb. Yeah, wearing, Curb. Uh, you know, uh, Casual Friday. It's still surreal to me that he's the voice of that uh, Baymax. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Very unexpected. It's that, like, it's that like, was him. It's like Phyllis in uh, Sadness, uh, Inside Out. Right. But the one change from the first pilot to the one that aired was – she wanted her good friend Rachel Dratch and also an SNL alumni to play Jenna DiCarlo. And I guess even Lauren Michaels, I think, was the first one to announce that we're going to go in a different direction. Rachel Dratch is still going to be part of the cast, and she'll pop up throughout the first season in various roles. She'll pop up in the pilot uh, when we talk about it. But they decided to cast uh, Broadway legend and, you know— I'm not, yeah, mainly Broadway legend. Like, she's popped up in other stuff, but uh, Jane Krakowski, who is perfect as Jenna. Well, that's interesting to me because the character had to be completely different if Rachel Dratch was playing her. You know, it's, I, I like oh, yeah. the, the way the character I know her that Jane Krakowski portrays her is so funny. This sort of, you know, insecure prima donna that has a bit of a. Um, I don't know, psychosis. I will kill her. myself. Yeah, yeah. This uh, very, you know, over the top character. But, you know, so funny. But at the same time, like, Rachel Dratch would have been a very different take on, I guess, this sort of overly demanding and high maintenance 
player on the show. I guess, like, I think Rachel Dratch is funny. I guess if they wanted, they needed a character as insane as Tracy Jordan, but in a completely different way, and they needed that diva star that maybe Rachel Dratch just, of all the characters that we would see her over, like, that's the one thing I really can't see her doing. Right, yeah, because she can do a lot, right? Rachel Dratch is obviously very hilarious. I, I don't recall her being on the show too much after the first season. I feel like she was mostly just in the first season in various roles. Uh, funny thing, though, I did see her in theater once in New Brunswick in a show yes. where she played a dog. Uh, she was very funny in that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, like George Street Playhouse, I think, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she's she's very hilarious. So I, I I'm glad at least they got to incorporate her somehow on the show. And I feel like it almost works better that she's constantly playing all these different wacky, neurotic characters like the cat handler. And uh, so we got our cast. And one point I want to make before I go into the next uh, piece of trivia is a big hand in this show was also Robert Carlock. Now he would he would end up going to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He kind of co-ran or he kind of was the showrunner of that show. But his, I think he kind of helped Tina Fey when Tina Fey was writing, acting, producing. He kind of came in. He comes from Friends. He was a writer on Friends, and okay. he kind of came in and kind of took. You know, he did some writing, but he helped showrun with her. That and, might explain why uh, David Schwimmer was a guest on the second season, I think, as Greenzo. Yeah. Oh, well, that kind of goes into the the last piece of trivia is that uh, this show that I always love it is it kind of made fun of its parent company, NBC, and its bigger parent company, GE, at the time. Now, right, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, many viewers, uh, GE did not really go for the show that poked fun of it <laughs> that, that they did not like they're like it's like a court gesture and funny uh jeff zucker who was the also one of the presidents at the time defended the show saying let them do jokes right because you know you're gonna come off like it's not gonna look good if you can't make fun of yourself right and if you try to censor the show that's just gonna backfire but it's it's kind of funny like uh i I think people have been talking about it now, but in the whole relation to AI, people have been kind of showing that Seinfeld vision. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That was so prescient, actually. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. I forgot about that Milf, episode. Milf Island, Milf Hunter. Oh. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing how it kind of predicted at least it, – it did very good takes on the whole Conan Leno, like very big media uh, – news in the like 2006 to 2012 type uh, well even um when ge sold off nbc universal to comcast right that becomes a storyline in the show and, and they, we got some yeah. great characters out of it like it's yeah they really knew how to roll with it but also uh it hit me the other day or as i was watching this pilot this show is basically the muppets Oh, okay. And I know I'm not the first person to say it because I typed it in because I wanted to know if I was the first. I, I think I might be the second because Salon wrote an article saying this is the Muppet Show. But I'm watching this going like this is kind of – we always say uh, like sitcoms are kind of an exaggerated version of reality. Friends, uh, Will and Grace. But I think with the uh, single camera version of this and the visual gags you can do – the characters are so 
it's not Flanders eyes, but they're so like, you know, Jack is a, a capitalist Republican. Liz is that liberal, uh, liberal writer trying to have it all. Jenna is like everything's a little bit extreme and everyone's a little bit goofy and you can get away with the gags. It just feels like a live action version of the Muppets. And it, and may, that's kind of how I see it in other Tina Fey show, but especially in 30 Rock. And I love it all the four. Uh, I love it all the more for it. The more I think about that, you know, it hadn't occurred to me to make that comparison with the Muppets, but you're totally right. I mean, Liz Lemon is kind of like the Kermit of the show, right? Trying to hold everything together. And there's always so much chaos going around. You know, uh, there's the prima donna. There's the, the you know, Tracy is maybe like gonzo. The, the gonzo, right? The one who's just always doing this this crazy stuff that disrupts everything. And Jack is Sam the Eagle. Yes, I was going to say the exact same thing, right? So it all kind of lines up. And uh, I, I like that a lot the more you mention it. It is very cartoony at times. And the characters are very over the top, but so knows that it, all tracks. It knows it's cartoony. It, 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 oh like, yeah, the that's the whole style played, of it. Like, it's not. It's not when you're watching a sitcom in, in its later season, going like these are pretty cartoony plots. Like it's a show that, like, it's a good satire, but it also is just a little above our reality. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean there are like really wild things that happen on the show that are very cartoonish or very like wild coincidences like there i remember one of my favorite episodes there's one where uh jack discovers that there's a telenovela whose villain is played by an actor that looks just like him so his hispanic girlfriend's mom hates him because he reminds her of this telenovela villain and like of course he alec baldwin plays that character as well things like that are just obviously not grounded in the real world but that's okay because this is more about really big comedic set pieces yeah well it, another the big plus is like the writing the set pieces and also this show not only had a great cast but really knew what to do with uh guest stars like it was yeah. a big deal when like steve martin jennifer aniston uh i think jack's mom elaine stritch uh is one of my favorite like she's great like she just like just how they wrote for her is so funny but even then they knew what to do with matthew broderick who i think was his brother cooter like it's just like they knew, oh they, i forgot about him they knew what to do it was a well-oiled machine and it didn't give that illusion at all and and that's the magic of this show yeah i feel like it was a very fluid show and all these crazy characters would come in and out and you're right i think that uh everyone who came on for like a, a one or two episode or maybe even like a season arc they always had uh very unique characters to play so i i always got a sense that everyone on the show was having a lot of fun making this because there was just a lot of freedom to really try different things and you know to really go to places that maybe comedies hadn't before I would say so. It kind of definitely explored uh, the boundaries of a sitcom. Like they too had their live episode shows, uh, and they just they they do a lot. Of, they they it's a show and um, that will explore. It knew how to utilize cuts. Oh, very much so. A lot of like, cut scenes. You know, like that the camera sort of uh, like 
quickly moving in one direction as if to move to this scene and then moving back. And sometimes there's a meta moment where the characters are like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, like Tracy's like, oh, I had a wild time with my wife last night. It's about to like go to that scene. They're like, no, don't, don't. <laughs> they like sometimes stop the cut gag from happening. Uh, like they made uh, uh, Tracy Jordan's wife played excellently by Sherry Shepard. And also the introduction of Titus uh, Burgess yeah. as well. Like they turned, they would make a, like a how, desperate housewives episode mockumentary of like of one or two, and just ha- be all about her. Yeah, there were a and lot of worked. a lot of shows within the show that were all memorable in their own right. Uh, so yeah, that's that. I mean, that's so great because it's a show basically about entertainment about the TV biz, show biz. And I wanted to bring that up too, because, you know, like how appealing is that? I think, you know, even though maybe it's not the most relatable thing for most audiences, people still like stories about showbiz because it's just so fascinating. It's, you know, I think it's fun to see the, the behind the scenes and the halls of Rockefeller center and how this all operates, even if it is a very exaggerated and absurd version of showbiz you know, it's still something that people are interested in what's behind the curtain. And even if you're portraying that in a very cartoony way, uh, it's it's still very interesting to a lot of people because you know, there's there's intrigue. I, I it's why we like documentaries about like the making of and uh, just yeah like, yeah you know, I, yeah production you know and, and for for this sort of um, take on showbiz too, you know it's it's so portrays it as a very stressful environment you know like oh yeah liz levin definitely has a very stressful job and is always pulled in different directions and we get that in the very first episode uh so you know i i think we've covered a lot of the bases here oh except one more thing i got a kick out of there is a joke here that some people thought was like product placement and um we'll get to that yeah uh but i i the, the there was like a little more tension there too with ge so uh, I'm looking forward to covering that, but uh, you know, it's like sometimes the show was so meta that people were really weren't sure. It, it was like it was breaking the fourth wall in a way that people uh, were even confused at times. <laughs> it was winking at you. They really blurred the line right between reality because sometimes they did have people playing themselves, right? Like they had Meredith Vieira on the Today yeah. Show playing herself when she would interview somebody, right? They Brian Williams was great on this show. Yeah, like, like they had like Today Show anchors and whatnot playing versions of themselves and they would go along with the goofiness. Like like it was nothing. They they were really good sports about the whole thing. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about that product placement. I even I'm looking at my notebook right here and I know when it, I know where it comes up. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to call it out because I thought that was so funny. Uh, but I think we're all set. The stage here is set. So it's October 11th, 2006. We're turning on NBC. And so, Keith, I think you can now take us to the pilot. Flight 527, runway 8 kilo, you're cleared for takeoff. We open up shot of an empire's of the Empire State Building, New York City, baby. Well, I mean, great way to open, but we pan down. I'm not going to talk do this throughout the whole episode, but we pan down to a hot dog stand where we meet our main character, Liz Lemon, in line for a hot dog, and lo and behold, a guy cuts in front of her, and 
this is a great introduction to Liz's character because wait a minute, whoa, 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 like you can't just do this. There are laws, law, like we, like we have, you know, all the good people. We've been waiting for a while to get our hot dog. So Liz decides, and even then, the guy who cut the line is starting to divide the line. <laughs> yeah, he's a real jerk about it too. He's like, "What's yeah. the big deal? I'm just buying a hot dog. Get over it." You know, he's trying to dismiss the whole thing and. Liz is uh not having it, which I like. I'm rooting for Liz actually in this scene. Liz is right, but she goes about it in a complete fuddy duddy way because she buys all the hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to stop this guy from cutting the line. That's just so funny. I also I recognize me, for me and this, the good people. <laughs> uh, yeah, the good people line. I recognize that actor too as um. I don't know. He was in the office as that lawyer guy that eats the chocolate turtle and Michael yells at him, where are the turtles? <laughs> um, I don't know. He, I think that guy, uh, he has the face that he's maybe typecast as a jerk, um, but it works in this scene, of course. So, uh, you know, Liz is walking with a big box of hot dogs and we kind of get like, it's not the show's theme music, but I had a laugh the more I got to know television. This is kind of her mary tyler moore like that girl that girl like and yeah the that girl theme song and she it's funny she's trying to do right she's handing everybody homeless homeless people hot dogs and they're just like i don't want this like who the yeah, hell <laughs> they're throwing it at her right like some people just like won't take it that that's you know that's setting a good tone too that she has good intentions but she's not really often on the same page as other people like her you know, her efforts are quite often uh, in vain or misinterpreted. But we get, you know, kind of quick exposition. We see where she works, Rockefeller Center. She takes the elevator up. Where she And then, yeah, 30 Rock. Um, and then, you know, we get uh, at that song that's playing while she's handing out the hot dogs. We actually find out, right, that it's uh, a sketch for the show. Yeah. The, the song is um, about a character called Pam. <laughs> The overly the, confident, morbidly obese woman. Yeah, yeah. So that's like uh, kind of a weird left turn that you know, maybe you won't expect right away. It's like, oh, this pleasant song. It's like, oh, no, this is <laughs> this is kind of like a demented take on that sort of uh, that sort of genre of music. Not even that. Just like, oh, uh, it's like one of those sketches on SNL that like those character like sketches that do have a song <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i also get a sense too that the girly show the show within the show that they work on it's kind of like tina fey saved all the rejected sketches from the over the years of snl and just had those be the sketches for the show within the show right does that make sense it's like she's purposely having these sketches be maybe like not the best it's funny i always get a kick of like whenever i hear someone from SNL talk about whether it doesn't matter the era uh, talk about like sketches that got rejected or just were cut during dress rehearsal. And I'm like, damn, I wish we got to see that. Uh, so maybe, but I, uh, I think this is just like, it's so in your face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what I suspect, or maybe she's intentionally writing what would have been a rejected sketch, something like that, because uh, you know, in this episode and so many other episodes, I, one of the running gags is how the sketches they're doing are just so dumb and bizarre. I think there's like one where Tracy is like a fart doctor or something, or there's like a fart robot. <laughs> it's like they just kind of take the dumbest ideas 
and uh, give themselves the freedom to to bring those to life. But anyway, we pull back and we see that uh, the NBC page, Kenneth, who will grow to love, is giving a tour. And we'll see – we'll get to know that Kenneth, over the course of the series, and even in this pilot, Kenneth really loves TV. Enough that he will pr- – like, guys, it's the head writer of The Girly Show, Liz Lemon, and no one cares. I uh, know. The group is very unimpressed. They just kind of stare at her. The kid burps like – <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and like yeah, like that's kind of setting the stage here that yeah, Liz is quite often the the butt of the joke, and uh, maybe not the most glamorous person in showbiz. So Liz is walking to the girly show office, and this is where we meet Scott Atzit, aka uh, Pete Hornberger, and they're going over sketches. And the, just the one note I wrote for this, I'm like, oh yeah, Michael Jackson's still alive in 2006. Right, right, yeah. They're like it's interesting too to hear them talk about sketch ideas. So not just the ones you see the characters do, but even just like in the writers' room and the ones they have to turn down. Right, I, uh, I guess I'm curious how many of those ideas are ones that Liz, or I'm sorry, Tina Fey, actually had heard during her time as a writer, or is just kind of like having fun, purposely thinking of weird ideas. But this is definitely the write what you know portion. Like, I'm sure she's had these kind of discussions. And, you know, she brings the hot dogs for the writers. And this is where we start to get, briefly, but our cast of writer characters. You get Twofer, the African-American Harvard-educated writer, who's, who's kind of too good for this show. And then we get the exact opposite, Frank Lutz. Or, no, Frank, uh, uh, who just, like, you know, kind of smells, has a different hat each episode and in this one oh yeah the trucker hats the trucker hats and in this episode it says ninja expert and i noticed uh one character who i always i grew to love is lutz and he's in the background he doesn't say anything but he was a writer for snl and i think he writes for sets myers now but yeah he's there i don't think they even knew the kind of character that they had on hand but i think i've seen that actor i mean he's a writer too but i've seen him like make brief appearances on other shows playing a sort of similar, maybe like spineless, cowardly type character. He seems like very willing to also play the butt of the show, um, the butt of the joke. But I guess all the characters are, right? I think everyone has their fair share kind of um, everyone you know, has taking their, the brunt. Everyone has their tropes. Like everyone has their like, like just their hyperbolic, like, you know, uh, Frank is uh, too first, too smart. And right, right. Lutz is too, like, I think Susan Sarandon, plays his mom like it's just like there's some uh, good... susan sarandon plays his teacher his that teacher, they that's it. had an affair and then they get together that's yeah. it and that's great that's <laughs> um but yeah we also meet siri the too hot for to be working this kind of job assistant yeah often fawned over by many of the male writers and then we get jimmy fallon oh sorry not jimmy fallon josh oh yeah yeah did she wait is this kind of like a Mean Girls thing where she casted him for looking like Jimmy Fallon? I I mean, I I think all signs point to yes, but I like I because I've never seen this guy any like uh, Josh does stick around for a while, but at one point he kind of fades out, and even the it's brought up as a joke. But Josh at least was like one of the he was supposed to be like just one of the leads of the girly show. Right, he's one of the the main players. Yeah, along with Jenna. 
And, you know, they're saying they ask him if he could do a Jay Leno impression. How you doing, folks? And once again, Jay Leno is hosting The Tonight Show at the time. Like, this is this is a kind of a, yeah, you know, hey, how you doing? Yeah, what do you think? They don't like his Jay Leno impression. I think he does a pretty good job. Right, I think that's just the joke is that yeah. he's, he's doing exactly what they're doing, but they don't really seem to get it. And uh, I think I, I, I do also get a kick out of his Ray Romano impression as well. Now, uh and when uh, Liz and Pete were talking, Liz told Pete, like, can you talk to that page and just tell him to calm down? So we get a little quick scene with uh, Pete just saying, like, hey, you know, you don't have to introduce the writers. No one cares about the writers. He's like, I and Kenneth, like, Jack McBrayer is I, – I only seen him play this kind of character. Just like, I love TV so much of the southern boy charm. He's so sincere, right? He seems yeah. like such like an innocent kid who just by golly wants to do the right thing and yeah. share his love for television to everyone. I find that to be so sweet. Uh, so we then cut back to the writer's room and now Josh is doing, uh, Ray Romano, Debra. Um, that's just me. I'm just uh, trying to do my own impressions. But uh, Siri tells Liz that he's uh, him and Pete, her and Pete are getting called to the top floor. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, it's getting called to uh, like getting called to the principal's office in a way. Yeah, and you know what's it about with who? Uh, they're think actually I think they're gonna they think they're meeting with Gary, but they walk in and the office the entire office is being redone, and out through the push door, Jack Donaghy. That's right. He's our introduction to great intro. This uh, this great character. I mean, even the way he explains why he's redoing the office, right? Just to make it his own. This is a really great way to you know, establish this character and how hands-on he is. Where's Gary? Gary's dead. I'm Jack Donaghy, new VP of development for NBC GE Universal Kmart. Uh, we own Kmart now. No. So why are you dressed like we do? I also like, what, what is his full title? Uh, the Vice President of Developing of GE and NBC Universal Kmart and uh, Microwave. What is it? I thought that was so funny. GE, NBC, Universal, Kmart. Like, just like a, a mouthful conglomeration of, like, random different businesses. Like, they strung on the end there. Like, Jack is a corporate soldier. And that, yeah, like, absolutely. He, that proudly is so. his character. Yeah, proudly so. Like, like he, he represents that version of corporate that just looks at focus groups and data and thinks he knows what's best for the show, but also it has no creative bone in his body well it's all market research right yes. he is going to stand by the market research it's like something that is um it's like a bible to him right it, it's uh something that he thinks all business decisions should be based off of which of course is like you know the exact sort opposite sort of thinking is liz so um yeah i mean we mentioned this before too how comedies can be really great when there's um you know the main character has a foil, and this is another great example of that. And uh, same thing with the writers and Lutz. We kind of get a brief intro to Jonathan, his uh, assistant, who we'll find out is just madly in love, dedicated to Jack. But right now, <laughs> it's, guy. Just, it's just delivering messages. And I uh, like, you know, five inches, but it's, but it's thick. Like, just that, <laughs> that rule of three, like, and... Enough to get past the censors. A lot. Thirty Rock has a lot of jokes that can just slide by standards and practices. But, right, right. Because it's like there's so much where it's like fill in the blanks, but they're not going to spell it out for you. But they make it obvious enough. 
but right away like it's it's an awkward first meeting it's kind of hard to imagine that these people would ever become friends but jack thinks that like he gets liz he knows the type of woman liz is and <laughs> he kind of gets it <laughs> right on the on the on the nose but liz will never admit it but right what's he he pegs her it's like 30 something year old like single working woman who has all these like uh textbook feminist attitudes takes up knitting you know like and pete is very impressed by uh, the call out about the knitting he's you know and then they do the thing about the weight he's like wait you gonna guess my weight next you have the boldness of a much younger woman uh, i love that i love his uh his burns i mean that's the thing about jack is that he roasts liz i mean the other characters too but mostly liz in such unexpected ways right like backhanded compliments passive aggressiveness it's just uh that those are like some of my favorite moments is uh just how quick he is about it too and uh you know like we said he's not only the vice president of development at nbc universal and kmart but he's also in charge of microwave oven programming and uh that's where we get our first kind of quote unquote product placement of the the trifection oven right three kinds of heat and yeah no this is i can at first this is where the kind of the ge people kind of have a stick up their butt like it's 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 a good you know it's product placement i'm sure well sort of right sort of it's liz liz uh tina fey did write that in as a joke and of course it's uh sort of like a metaphor there you need the three kinds of heat and jack uses that as an allegory for the show uh the girly show but uh i thought it was funny that ge felt like they had to put commercials of the actual trivection oven during this premiere because they thought that viewers would confuse this product as something fictional because it was on the sitcom right it's like oh they they write it for the joke and GE is like, just so you know, this is a real product that you can buy. <laughs> We're not just kidding around here. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny that like 30 Rock, I think just because it is, it takes place at NBC, it is kind of the court jester of the show that none of the other comedies could do at the time. Uh, I always go back to this clip every once in a while, but when NBC had the Super Bowl, they probably one of my favorite commercials is. Uh, you know, it starts with 30 Rock and all the characters are watching the Super Bowl and they're just talking about synergy. And like now's our chance to really kind of take it. And they start singing the Brotherhood of Man with all the other uh, NBC shows on at the time. But they 30 Rock kind of really kind of has fun with it. Like, oh, Tracy, I'm adorable. It works for Fox. Like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that but see, that's, so, that's what they can have their cake and eat it, too. That's what's so great, too, is that it's such a great show about television yes and it it just nails it at television at the time and also predicted television in the future so uh it's yeah if you if we love television obviously this is our podcast about it and this is a show that also is celebrating it and also lampooning it at the same time i miss i i I always want more shows like this but i am happy we got this but of course liz and uh pete want to know why they're even brought up here and jack wants to basically retool the girly show and of course liz is like well, no like like you're you're corporate he's like no but like 
market research and focus groups. We got this demographic, we got this demographic, but you're missing this demographic. And I think I have the perfect, uh, I think I have the perfect person for you. But even before that, we get a little clip. We get a little clip of uh, Jenna in her off in her uh, green room. And this is just showing who she is. And it kind of is to set up something, but she needs hemorrhoid cream. But not for where you think. She needs hemorrhoid cream for her eyes. Or basically just to get out that, like, those crow's nests that she thinks she has. Yeah, interesting life hack, I guess. Uh, I think she had mentioned that was first done when she was a a guest on Law & Order. Which she was. She was a guest on Law & Order. Well, yeah, uh, everyone in New York was. was. Everyone in New York was, but right. it's uh, but this is also where we get our first uh, Rachel Dratch cameo, and she is uh, the cat wrangler for today's girly show episode. Like she has the actor cats, right? Right. She comes in with like four cats all over her, and uh, she's like wearing this crazy mullet wig, which I get a kick out of, and uh, you know she's she's very turned off by jenna's joke about putting down her cats when she moved but yeah we cut back to jack's office and yeah he's basically saying i think i have the perfect person to help fill this demographic of men 18 to 49 and who who better than movie star tracy jordan who i you know they cut to like okay jason you know tracy's had his problems i'm a jedi i'm a jedi just him running down like a highway in his underwear yeah, yeah, with a toy lightsaber, so great. And he fell asleep on his neighbor's roof, which isn't illegal, which isn't illegal. Um, but, of course, you know, that can't happen. The show's tonight. And uh, we'll find out that, like, Tracy is, like, a mix of a lot of, uh, at the, of like, Martin Lawrence, uh, Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Like, he's just kind of that kind of actor. Um, but, yeah, uh, Jack... You know, the show's tonight, so Jack thinks, like, oh, yeah, you you can meet Tracy for lunch. And, uh, you know, okay. Liz agrees to it. and Yeah, reluctantly so, right? Uh, although she does say that, you know, she's not dressed for the fancy restaurant that Jack has picked out. And he says she'll be fine. But, uh, oh, yeah, like, oh, there, there's something, like, no, uh, she, go, she goes to get uh, – she'll have to get a better dress. Yeah, yeah, she's like, That's I'm not right. dressed for that restaurant. And he's like, well, you're dressed for Burger King. Should That's I right. move it to Burger King? <laughs> so she's going to have to go to wardrobe for uh, an interesting outfit that they put her in. And a piece of plywood falls on her head. Yeah, yeah, of course, which is just uh, so perfect for what she's going through. Now, I did have to, like, circle this because I had to went back with my notes. Jack tells Pete to hang back. That's how kind of the scene ends. He's like, Very Pete. quick, subtle, but important for the story. You know in that cat lady sketch? Do I have to hold a real cat? Cat lady sketch? That thing's gonna get cut. Oh, good. Who's that? That is the new network dude. Mmm, yummers. He reminds me of Scotty on General Hospital. No, ew, Jenna, do not like that man. That is a bad man. So we get an act break and we come back and Liz is basically asking uh, Wardrobe for a nicer outfit for lunch. And (laughs) he's like, oh... you could fit a Laura Bush in a sketch. Like, you have that same body type. Yeah, she's wearing that, like, such a cliche, uh, like, politician's wife, first lady suit. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. She, she picked, like, such a perfect um, 
like exaggeration of that. It's like pretty much the worst politician's female dress suit you could find. Now, uh, we'll find out. You already get hints of it here, but we'll find out as the show goes on that like Liz and Jenna are best friends. They kind of grew up doing improv together and they got this show. And so Jenna or Liz can be more open. She's more she can share her feelings about Jack and she's more annoyed. And then Jenna, she's Jack and she's like kind of like, "Ooh, who's this? Like and, uh, you know, he compliments Liz on the suit and uh, yeah, she off and ready to go. Uh, but I, I do like that, you know, she's uh, trying to I – mean, she, she's very wary of Jack, right? She doesn't like seeing him on the soundstage. And, oh, yeah. You know, like she, you could just tell Jack is just making himself right at home here. Liz is just going to have to deal with this guy from now on. Now, uh, Liz meets Tracy at lunch, and he basically – he's with his entourage at a circular table. And kind of like before, we'll get to know two members of his entourage who kind of become full – Fledged cast members, but I don't think say anything this episode. Grizz and dot com. Yeah, I get a sense that maybe they didn't really. Um, yeah, just in writing this first episode, that that wasn't really going to be fleshed out as yeah. much. You know, the 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 friends of his that would be sticking around and, like you said, become characters in their own right. Humble beginnings, like they didn't they didn't even know the kind of actors that they had on hand. Uh, but yeah, no, you you kind of get a sense of. Uh, who Tracy is like, do you have apple juice? All right. No. Okay. Then I'll have a vodka tonic. Uh, yeah. It's one or the other, but uh, the waiter does suggest pumpkin or something with pumpkin, pumpkin in it. ravioli, pumpkin ravioli. And that triggers him enough. He's like, all right, let's go. Like he does. Yeah, like, he cannot have food here. They do not have the food that he wants to eat. He's like, he makes a big show of it. Right. And then everyone's got to go. He's going to go somewhere else to eat. And, and he's already like, come on, Liz, we're going. Yeah, yeah, Liz has no choice but to follow along. So then we cut back to the writer's office, and everyone's kind of like, oh, Tracy Jordan's joining the cast, and Tufer doesn't like – he wouldn't like the idea of him working here. And it's kind of like Tufer is, once again, like that Harvard-educated African-American, and he doesn't like what – like the kind of movies that uh, Tracy's right, been yeah. in, which like Who Dat Ninja – and the movie where he's played like five different people and that white old lady, <laughs> which we, yeah, do, yeah. we do get a clip of like, yeah, like similar to Big Mama's house. Pretty much just like that. And uh, again, like so, so spot on, because I think that movie had just come out like a couple years prior. And, you know, it's we don't see those movies anymore. We don't even see Medea anymore like that. We always, no, Tyler Perry not. owns like a studio now. <laughs> Well, I think he runs like content at BET, but um, this is so funny. I mean, I I haven't seen those like Big Mama's House movies or anything, but uh, it's like everyone knows of them at least. So yeah, it's good. The show calls it out in such a funny way. So Tracy brings Liz and his entourage to uh, like a soul food restaurant up in Harlem, and right away, ten beers. Uh, you know, and uh, Liz is basically trying not to trying to reverse psychology him, trying to get him not to do the show. And he's like, it's not HBO, it's TV. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he wants to like have the freedom of a premier cable network. But, you know, she, yeah, you're right, because she's giving him, like, all these little comments to discourage him. Like, oh, you got to work a lot of long hours. It's not a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's really stressful. It's live. You know, she's really laying it on thick. 
you know, Tracy likes the idea of having creative freedom. He wants also to prove to people that he's not a crackhead. He's mentally ill. So, yeah, the, the, this show deals with, like, very short-minute scenes. Like, But now we cut back to Jenna. She's looking for Liz, but she runs into Jack. And, uh, you know, is love in the air? No, because uh, Ken, no, no. that's when Kenneth shows up with that hemorrhoid cream. Well, you know, I thought it was interesting, too, that, you know, Jenna, she's looking for Liz. And, you know, where's Liz? Where's Liz? And then Jack steps in and he goes, oh, well, I'm in charge, right? <laughs> he, he's really quick to establish his authority, which I thought was a, a very key moment for the character. And then, of course, you know, Kenneth, who uh, he's like that. That is a little more of a cliche sitcom moment, right? Like she's she wants to impress this guy. And then Kenneth's like, oh, I got that hemorrhoid cream you asked for. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, that one's a little more conventional, it, but it still works. It's for my eyes. Well, wherever it is, it's working. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, you know a little nicer about it. All right, so yeah, uh, Tracy's basically ranting about white men, like Jack. Yeah, he's basically ranting about the Bush administration uh, and Carl Robe. Carl Robe, I, I even wrote that down. But yeah, Liz is still trying to dissuade him, and oh yeah, how they put AIDS in our chicken nuggets. I wrote that down too. Like he believes. Oh yeah, well that that comes back later, the chicken nugget thing, and. Uh, yeah, at, at, I had to like when I, I watched this twice, like we do with all these pilots, and I, I missed the setup for that the first time. So it makes you know, the joke that comes back later makes a little more sense in that context. I think I I'm ashamed to admit it, but I think I missed the the punch. The oh, see, so yeah, I I got this, so you got the setup. I I got the payoff. I didn't we, know it was the setup. I thought it was just like one of those like throwaways that just is funny. Well, enough. oh, when, when we get to the punch, not. Well, the payoff later, I'll, I'll call it up for you. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, Liz, you know, the show's starting, so she has to get back to her office, and Tracy offers to drive her. But he has to make a stop first. And she's thinking, like, a bank, but no, it's a strip club. Uh, yeah, quick stop at a strip club. Well, not quick either. Um, so, you know, Liz being Liz is, like, tips the girl, but for computer classes. Yeah, yeah. And Tracy's like, I'm going to help out with the girly show. Like, he, he wants to do it, and, you know. And also, Liz makes a comment about sex worker, and, like, that's where it's like, I'm not a sex worker either. Uh, that's a sex worker. But so she she leaves. She wants to go. She calls Kenneth, calling for a car. And that's when Kenneth informs her that Jack fired Pete. Jack is already, Jack is already starting to make waves uh, well, you know what, too? There was a comment before when Jack first mentioned the idea of bringing in Tracy to be in the show. And Pete has that comment like, well, I don't know. We're, we're, where are we going to get the money in the show's budget? And I guess that was Jack's solution, right, to, to fire Pete to make room for for Tracy. Yeah. Uh, I also really like the moment when uh, you know, they, you know, Liz makes that comment about the strippers being sex workers. And Tracy's like, these women do not get paid to have sex. But then he mouths, yes, they, they do. <laughs> and then he does that really signature Tracy Morgan look where he kind of like really like widens his eyes and sort of like moves his chin down a bit. You know, he, he gives like this very like unsubtle look of like, you might as well be like winking really obviously, you know. Curly show. Ken, send me a car, okay? What is your location? Dark sensations in the Bronx. I wish you were here. Mr. Donaghy does not get a showbiz people. Let me talk to Pete, okay? Oh, Pete got fired this morning. That's so weird that you don't know that. 
Yeah, we cut back and Liz is kind of giving up in a way. She's drinking with uh, and complaining about Jack to Tracy, who she thinks is listening and just saying like, yeah, I miss Pete. Like, Pete's a good man. And she's like, you're not a good listener, are you? Like, Yeah, because then at one point he goes, yeah, screw Pete. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, like, whatever she's saying, he's just kind of like, you know, half repeating back. What and she's pouring what she's her saying. soul out. Like, she's just kind of telling us her journey, like how she worked. Basically, she kind of lived that, you know, improv comedian's New York life, like probably dead, like no shows at her show to finally Well, she get... was saying that she, she moved from Chicago to do yeah. the girly show. So, yeah, it's interesting. It, like Pete getting fired is actually um, a low blow for her. Uh, so we cut back to the NBC studio and it's basically it's 20 minutes to air. And are we cutting the cat lady sketch? Like, we have no idea. Liz is not there, but Jack assumes control. And I, I got a kick out of that. Like, Jack has no idea what he's doing, but he's just going to step in and start making creative decisions for this sketch comedy show, right? And, he, of course, he's going to be making um, some some decisions that will come back to, to yeah. bite somebody. Well, he's going off of marketing. He's like, animal humor It's universal. Everyone loves animals. Uh, and- <laughs> yeah. And Jenna asked the everything an actor wants to act. Do you think I'm good? And he's like, "Well, Jenna, you got to prove everybody wrong." Uh, like Jenna, yeah. Claire, she's like, "What do you mean, prove everyone wrong? What are they saying?" And yeah, what what is some of the feedback that Jack gives her? Uh, just, uh, oh God, I didn't write it down, but uh, just like just like know, about how she looks. Yeah, and... yeah. But you find out like yeah, Jenna has like major self esteem issues that will just oh like, yeah, she's extremely self-conscious body conscious you know and uh jan hooks plays her mom and also just like a really good role speaking of snl alumni uh those are always great episodes when she would appear and so yeah right now we cut back to the strip club and liz is drunk and dancing and then we go back to the nbc studio where jack basically picks the cat for the cat lady sketch but it's found out that that cat's not an actor it's a rescue Right, yeah, the, the Rachel Dratch, the cat handler, is uh, kind of giving someone a heads up like that. That cat, uh, I don't think that's a good cat for this, but it's too late. So once we go back to Liz, and she is hammered, and she's, you know what? I'm going to tell Jack off. Well, she plans on quitting. Yeah. And Tracy, can you drive me back to the studio? And the show is starting. Uh once again, we're cutting back and forth. So the show's about to start, and then we cut back to Tracy. He's like pulling. He pulls over next to a building, and it turns out this is the building that he was foster cared in. And you kind of get a sense of like, you know, he had a rough life, and even Liz is quick to remind him that he, his talent. He got out. He's a star now, but the moment is ruined when he finds out that he, uh, Liz finds out that he's peeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's kind of like he's he's pouring his heart out a little bit to her and then it, it kind of is just messing with her too a little bit um but you know this show really wasn't one to have uh, a serious moment or dramatic moments that i can recall i think for the most part like you know, even if the characters were dealing with uh maybe something personal it was still played off in a, a humorous way that was in line with the the tone of the show that's yeah no i noticed that like uh i'm I think it was starting to happen with sitcoms around this time that like even the, uh, like you could play with those emotional moments or 
not un- always undercut it with a joke, but yeah, Thirty Rock didn't really have. Uh, it just kind of always went for the laugh. Yeah, I mean, I can even remember too. Like uh, one of the biggest storylines is when Jack is uh really stuck between two loves at the same time, right? He's stuck between like Julianne Moore and um Elizabeth Banks, uh Elizabeth Banks, and you know, it's like it is like very serious for him. He's very torn and conflicted, but it's it's still played in a really really funny way. And so, you know, even though, like, the characters, they suffer these breakups and heartaches and stuff throughout the show, I think, you know, part of that has to do with the music and just, you know, maybe laying in a lighter joke to sort of ease the blow a bit, right? Like, they, I don't think they ever really wanted people to feel too sad watching this. You know, it's like, you still care about the characters, but, you know, it's always going to be funny. Yeah. So, we're now... We're kind of all converging onto the NBC studio, and Liz arrives, and she is looking for Donaghy, and she takes a phone call. She talks to Pete, who's trying to get his child off of him, and she basically says, "I'm if you're not going to be part of the show, I'm going to quit. Like I can't do the show without you." And Pete points out, like he t- tells her not to quit, and I think he's watching the show and goes, "Like wait a minute, the cat lady sketch wasn't cut." Yeah, he gives her a heads up there, and uh, I think Liz immediately snaps back into showrunner mode at yeah. that moment. But, you know, we're seeing uh, they're doing the cat lady sketch, and the cat, the feral cat, basically attacks Jenna, scratches her. Yeah, Breeze leaves a pretty nasty mark on her. She throws it. She chucks wow. that cat to the audience's absolute horror, which is like their reaction is so funny to me. Like, they, they immediately turn on her. And you're a hundred, you know, the crowd is booing. You can't hurt animals. Uh, the crowd is booing. And Tracy, you're, uh, you're 100% right that Liz goes into showrunner mode. She turns to Tracy and says, get on there and just talk. And yeah, yeah, Tra- just like do whatever, right? Like just get on there. It doesn't matter what you do. And he, you know, arrives in. The crowd goes wild. He's like, how you doing, party people? Uh, you know, gets on stage. The crowd loves it. And now this is where that, uh, chicken nugget joke comes back because he has like this random thing he says right because tracy is obviously just riffing here and he says uh I- i'm from the government i've come to inspect the chicken nuggets uh, oh. so that's just what i'm saying like i think that was meant to tie into that earlier joke about oh 100%. chicken nuggets and i don't know what- whatever it was so uh, yeah, again, very- I like how I've seen this pilot many a time. Like this was this show was one of my quarantine watches, and yeah, no, it's one of those. It, there, there must be like three jokes a minute, maybe even more, and it's just that detail. Yeah, that's why I, I I think that's one of the strengths of this show and so many other shows from this era is that because you can operate at such a faster pace that yeah, it's worth rewatching these episodes because there's going to be jokes that you don't catch the first or second or however many times, right? Like you can keep rewatching and discovering jokes there uh, that were uh, very, you know, uh, maybe buried in there on purpose, right? Like kind of just slipped in there a bit for, you know, for that purpose really to, to keep rewarding the returning viewers. Uh so while Tracy's doing his thing, which you can always kind of hear in the background, Liz walks up to Jack and basically demands him to rehire Pete, protect Jenna, and to buy the staff a coffee dispenser, which Tufer asked for way in the beginning. 
right. What is it called? He had a fancier name for it. Cappuccino. Uh, yeah, it was like something way more uh, highbrow, right? It was like, I think it's like a French name for it. He was giving it and everyone else kind of, and that's like a running joke with Tufer is he'll try to speak in a more highfalutin manner and people will be like, Oh, right. And they'll repeat back what he said in a more pedestrian manner. And he's like constantly frustrated that he has to kind of like lower his, um, you know, his, his vernacular, his, um, his lexicon, right. He kind of has to operate with people who aren't as articulate as he is. Now, uh, Jack, once again, he knows Liz, but he, th- he over the course of the show, he'll get to really know Liz. They will become best friends, but he, he gets Liz. He guesses her weight to the T, 127 pounds. And she ends, she tosses it right back to him. Literally, she tosses like, like a paper towel roll or something. I missed it, but she throws something. You know, he goes back to watching the sketch and I guess like, oh, she's drunk. She just tosses like a paper towel roll at his head and smirks. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think Jack, yeah, he agrees to Liz's demands, but I think him guessing her weight, which he earlier said he could do, I think that's his kind of way of, um, I don't know, that not punishing Liz, but it's like, okay, uh, I'll give you these things, but in return, I'm just going to jab you here for a moment. Even from the beginning, I could, like, definitely one of Tina Fey's, like, Television and comedic influences is definitely Mary Tyler Moore. Like it kind of oh, starts, for sure, yeah. But uh, one of the best relationships in TV history is the relationship that Mary has with her boss, Lou Grant, Ed Asner. So different, but they make each other better. And oh, that, that's, that, that's, that's to me classic. That, like that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Like that to me is like the best sitcom. I've seen the first episode of that show actually, and uh, you know I think we'll probably get to that. Oh, I can't wait. Talk about you know, 70 sitcoms. But it's definitely. Uh, like harken like you know it kind of sets the stage even for uh leslie nope and ron like two opposites but they go so well that they make each other better and but in that early relationship it's like a like i don't like you but i respect you like right yeah it's more adversarial but like you said there's a level of respect there and that's i'm glad you called that out because you know i i guess um that Mary Tyler Moore dynamic between her and Ed Asner. Yeah, you're right. I think that really does influence this. And like you said, in Parks and Rec, uh, I, th- that's a really good point. And of course, you know, obviously Tina Fey had to have been a fan of Mary Tyler Moore as well, like so many people were, because she, yeah. I think she probably grew up with that show, right? Yeah. In the 70s. Well, so. I would put Liz Lemon, like, she's earned her place in terms of like sitcom, fem- female lead sitcom history. Like, Liz Lemon is. Watch Mojo Top Five, like you know, like I, I think Mary's at the top, but Liz Lemon's earned her place. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Definitely, uh, you know, Tina Fey's stamp on the leading lady in a television comedy. So, we end the show with the appropriate goodbyes, the same kind of goodbyes that SNL have. The the cast is waving to the audience, and uh, the cat wrangler Rachel Dratch goes up to Jenna, or no, goes up to. Uh, uh, Liz, Liz and says like you know you'll be hearing from my lawyer that cat like that cat's insured like uh, yeah 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 so she's not happy about that and uh, Tracy basically tells Jenna like I'm gonna be happy to work with you every week you can't wait to get started and Jenna gives uh, Liz this like what the hell kind of look and Liz just kind of appropriate replies with sorry <laughs> yeah right she kind of just shrugs and yeah I th- 
that's Jane Krakowski is able to deliver that sort of um, horrified look in such a funny way. Cause she, I think she gives that look a lot cause they really put this uh, Jenna character through the ringer quite often. And uh, yeah, this is just the first of many uh, moments of being mortified that she'll have. Now, usually the show ends with a tag, but not for the pilot. We're not there yet. But right, that's just the end of episode. Uh, executive producer Lorne Michaels is oh yeah the first credit we see. Are you familiar with the GE Trivection oven? I don't cook very much. Sure, I got you. New York, third wave feminist, college educated, single and pretending to be happy about it, overscheduled, undersexed. You buy any magazine that says healthy body image on the cover, and every two years you take up knitting for. A week. That is dead on. What are you gonna guess my weight now? You don't want me to do that. So yeah, that was uh, the pilot to Thirty Rock. So yeah, I, I think it went by really fast. A, a lot of these episodes do. It's just like I said, how how fluid it is. That's just the pacing of it. So yeah, what do you think in this retrospective review here? You know, we have that meta humor, which is always a fun thing, right? I think you, you, every episode of 30 Rock that comes on, it's almost exciting to see, you know, how, how are they going to break the fourth wall this time? Well, I think at the beginning, I'm trying to remember my feelings because uh, I was 16 when this came out. I was like in high school and it's bef- once again, this came out on a Wednesday, but it had the luxury of like, I liked, I love Tina Fey. I love Tracy Morgan. Alec Baldwin was – I didn't really know – I know he was like an actor and stuff, but I I really loved the institution of SNL. I, re, I kind of had all the books and the, the first season DVD, which is – it's fine, but I really just enjoyed SNL. So it kind of had me hooked, and I'm sure a lot of people. And yeah, no, it's like uh, – it's a funny pilot, but coming – trying to li- get into Tina Fey's head – of just like, oh, I can't watch my like what the kind of actress and what that show became. It's such a like this is the first step show. Like it's just like it's such a this show is gonna get crazier and funnier in ways that you can't even imagine. But what a good first step. I agree. I mean, right? It would go on for quite a journey, seven seasons, one hundred and thirty nine episodes. So that's definitely a very successful run. I think a good amount of episodes without maybe saying they went on for too long, right? I I think it ended fine. I remember like even the the last uh season was kind of like that 13 episodes, which I think what TV was kind of becoming. It was a bridge that last season. And you know, honestly, I do remember that, you know, so much of the show is super solid, but I think that penultimate season, that 6th season, I remember that I just didn't really laugh as much as the earlier episodes. And I think maybe it was like, okay, maybe we should wrap this up. And, you know, you can kind of tell that the show maybe is, feels like it's like the time to, to bow out. But, you know, for so much, I think so. there were so many strong episodes before that and strong seasons. Like I said, that, that season four arc with Jack and the love triangle, I think that was uh, such a big moment for the show. Liz and all of her relationships. I think it picks up speed right away because I think one of the first, Within the 10 episodes, there's a great episode with R.I.P. Paul Rubens, and he plays like this Norwegian prince, and he's like a product of incest, and like, he's 
hilarious. That's one of the funny. I think people even think that's like one of the top ten funniest episodes. But like you got like Will Forte as his like yeah you know he like and then you got Isabella Rossellini as like Jack's ex. But that whole mix is so funny. I mean, of course, too. You got a lot of actors who are on SNL, like you mentioned, like Will Forte, but. I- you know, Jason Sudeikis was a love interest for her, for Liz Lemon. John Hamm for, was – like, John Hamm oh, was – yeah. What they did with John Hamm, they turned like, oh, he's like the hottest guy, but he can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they always added, like, for these guest spots, like, one particular quirk that sort and of And they unraveled. exploited that. Oh, how – oh, before – like, how can I mention the best – like I don't know if it was supposed to be like a one-off, but Doctor Spachemin, Doctor Space, like oh, of just course, a um, joke. Uh, Chris Parnell. Oh, like, cla- that I think he probably was my favorite recurring character yes. outside the main cast. My, so so funny. And Chris Parnell but is that, that had to be just like a joke. Like that's my doctor, Doctor Spaceman, and you like oh, it's pronounced Spachemin. And then yeah, yeah. Chris Parnell is like one of those, uh, you know, not everyone on SNL gets to have that like will ferrell movie career but some of them are always reliable character actors and chris parnell is definitely like archer uh uh, rick and morty like it it, but he's all but dr spachemin is so great i mean first of all the name and then also that voice you know i think the voice just makes everything he says so funny and i also love that the character of, of dr spachemin is also constantly Facing lawsuits and malpractice. Yeah, he's probably like the world's worst doctor. But that's uh, he's the, like, he's like the Dr. Muppet Nick. aspect. That's like, yeah, the, he's like a Dr. Nick, but that's like also like the Muppet aspect. Like you can kind of see like, oh, the, the NBC doctor or whatever he was. Like, Right, we're going to do like a doctor moment now, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah, bring that character in there. Yeah, I, oh man, you're right. Such a great cast of characters. Uh, you know, the writers also grow a lot. Because then you also have, um, not just Tufer and Frank, but then there was like that uh, one female writer that uh, had like a Norwegian accent. Yeah, she was or something. foreign. Yeah, like uh, like you had that reliable like cast of uh, like writer characters. But Lutz, oh, oh, Lutz, Lutz became Lutz. a favorite. Like they just like that actor was. If you want to talk poking fun at yourself, like that guy took a bullet for you. Oh, and he also was really pivotal to the finale the last lunch where he falls through the ceiling there you know he insists on having blimpies you know and it's like oh, yes. everyone blimpies uh i gotta oh, keep yeah, out he of gets that. the pick yeah yeah like he was randomly chosen the pick and everyone's horrified he's like yeah we're having blimpies oh man you can go on and on and on so yeah it's definitely a show that obviously we we both watched the whole length of it you have multiple times and uh, yeah, like so many of these great comedies we've discussed, it warrants a lot of rewatching. Uh, and so yeah, I think you know, between the A-list cast too, which is always exciting to see, you know, these uh, these big names. It's like the thing with Friends, you know, like a, a show gained so much popularity and these NBC comedies had so much prestige that they really could have gotten anyone they wanted. I think yeah, Jim Carrey was on in a really unique role as he, like the leap, leap year. day, yeah, yeah leap, leap day. year, day, leap day guy. Yeah, they they really uh, had a lot of fun uh, with these guest spots. So you know, Thirty Rock, and it's funny too. I actually work very close to Rockefeller Center, and it's hard not to just think of the the theme song to this show whenever uh, I walk by or I'm in the vicinity. Written by her husband, I think, because we didn't have the theme in this episode. Uh, dun, oh, dun, right. dun 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 dun. Yeah, Jeff Richmond. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, love the theme song, and I also like the style of the music. You know, this very jazzy, upbeat, yeah. sort of like I don't know, almost like absurdist type music. It just adds to that cartoony pace of it. Yes, yes. You have the very kind of like squeaky sax, you know, you, when a lot of people you are. You could just see Doctor Teeth playing yeah. that. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Might as well be like right off to the side or something, yeah. playing the music as you know, the the characters are getting into all sorts of hijinks. Uh, so yeah, there it is. Dirty Rock. Uh, more rave reviews from us. And uh, I, you know, it might be time for me. I haven't, I haven't rewatched this show in a long time, but I think I might go back down that road again after uh, re-exploring it with you for this. I hope it does so, the same for you and others. Um, you know, we've talked a lot now th- about these 2000 sitcoms that were doing the new format, right? Single cam breaking away from the live studio audience and you know all these shows kind of had a lot in common in terms of uh quick scenes cut scenes uh or even just like very quick pace like two three minute scenes uh but you know that's not to say that the live studio audience format still wasn't prevalent at the time there were still a lot of uh shows that kept to that and were still very popular and uh one that we'll talk about next week that probably was maybe I don't say the most popular could have been the most popular at the time. Uh, How I Met Your Mother, Love that and show. Uh, you know that's I I know that's a show near and dear to a lot of people, and yeah, we'll explore the first episode of that next week. So uh, get ready for that story, and uh, until then, we'll catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.